Hi everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we are not only going to talk about why you need to drive efficiencies in 2023, but also how to actually achieve that. Enjoy. Always make sure you hit the record button. Oh, Mikkel. Yes. How much hair you have grown. <laughs> I'm so jealous, Mikkel. <laughs> What? Are you and, jealous that Mikula just actually has some time off now instead? And also, you finally got rid of your... You finally got rid of uh, uh, your Danish accent. I got rid of the Danish accent. You wouldn't believe what I had to do to get all this hair right now as well. Yeah. <laughs> you need to tell me which product you use. Yeah. Because... Did you know that they actually have shampoo and conditioner separate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of our conversations, by the way. Mikkel and I didn't know this. And it's like, well, maybe that's why that's, we don't have any yeah, there's a, there's a good chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is ironic because like, out of everyone in the office, I think I wear the like hats and caps, I guess, some of them more often things i mean maybe sandy in the office as well but yeah i just can't pull it off <laughs> it just doesn't it doesn't go well also with like a shirt no and it doesn't like that. that's true I, I go a little bit more casual usually on this but we're doing another good casual episode here uh when we're talking about i guess going into this going into this new year and a good casual topic about going into 2023 is that 2023 is gonna suck yeah, 2023 is going to be just like 2022, practically, if not worse. I think we're, we're seeing that everywhere. We're seeing, you know, valuations dropping. We're seeing less funding from everything. But like other than, you know, all that stuff, what else should we kind of expect for this year? So the the funding environment is kind of the almost the starting point. So, you know, just a little bit of, you know, macroeconomic theory quickly, like, um, uh, the you know money was pulled out, out of the public markets for stocks because uh, interest rate went up and um, um, and because obviously there's lots of uncertainty right now uh, and if those um, uh, public companies are faltering in, in stock price what that means is they can't buy you they can't mm -hmm. they can't acquire your company or it doesn't make sense for a company that was about to go public to go public with those current valuations. Uh, which then basically means that, um, uh, you know, all of these VCs, they're all just businesses. Like, yeah. we, we, we never really talk about the venture capital company is a company. Um, and basically, they're giving you money to get more money back. And currently, you know, the exit markets for those venture capital companies, it's either M&A, someone is buying you. Well, they can't buy you because their stock faltered and they can't, you know, usually it's a 50-50 deal, cash and stock, and suddenly they can't their stock is worth less, so that doesn't work out. And at the same time, the other, uh, you know, event for, for VCs to make money is uh, when you go public, but the public markets don't pay as much. Now even they pay, you know, potentially less than the VC put in money. So that that is a big, big problem. And basically what then happens is this goes down the value chain of, you know, public markets, then about to exit, then Series C, Series B, Series A, C, right? And it, you know, usually takes a little bit longer. Um... And we're now seeing it across the board. VCs don't want to give you money. If they do want to give you money for, you know, very different valuations that you had last time, we can argue whether or not now this is the right or wrong valuations, but basically less for what you had last time. So people don't want to do that. So what the next thing is that um, people don't want to go out, get funding. Um, so they cut costs in order to extend runway. Um, and uh, the, the pressure for them to grow is still there. So basically now efficiency is becoming the new 
the new buzzword, right? VCs yeah. are telling companies, hey, you need to be efficient. You need to grow further and farther with uh, the money that you have already. Uh, they The VCs tell them that, hey, I probably can't give you more money from my stuff because, you know, that doesn't make sense for me either. <laughs> um, and suddenly, you know, efficiency replaces growth at all costs, yeah. right? Um, and then how does that, how does that, you know, find itself? Well, it's like suddenly everyone is talking about how important, you know, customer retention is. It's not like this was not important before. No. Um, some people call it already the, um, the biggest churn event of all time in SaaS. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's encouraging, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, not scared and, at all. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, this is obviously kind of a net retention rate thing. Why is net retention rate important? Because it's the cheapest way to grow. You don't need to spend more sales and marketing dollars, yeah. know, comparatively speaking. Um, and then the other side is suddenly, and we're seeing this here from the GrowBlog side, suddenly, you know, when we talked a year ago about CAC payback and then and, and those efficiency metrics, because, you know, that's our trade. That's revenue operations. This is, you know, mm -hmm. what, what we're kind of thinking about all the time. Uh, everyone was like, who cares about efficiency metrics? I just need to grow, grow, grow. Well, that, that has changed. Um, a lot of people are now focusing on CAC payback, on, I don't know, burn multiple, on, you know, again, net retention rate, right? Um, and um, I think that that is that is what changed. Uh, that is also why it changed. And I think the truth is some some companies will be able to adapt and figure it out or have enough runway and or take a step down in valuation, get through this. And some other companies will probably just run out of cash and fizzle out. Yeah. Um, and I think um, we've seen it already. There's was already kind of a small wave of these uh, happening. Obviously, this is you know not shouted and touted, and not everyone knows about it, but it's happening. Um, and I think it will intensify over the next six to nine months, actually. Definitely. In talking about all, a lot of these efficiency metrics and the idea how we need to be more efficient, like this is also isn't a new trend either. Uh, we we've been seeing articles and blogs about this all the way back from 2019 and before. And yeah, we understand we need to be more efficient. But what does that actually entail? What, is, is it just about keeping up these metrics or is it just more? Yeah. So, and that's, that's I think, where the where the finance and RevOps just stand on two different um, aisles, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's the right Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, sure. Can I do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's so good to have a, a native speaker here now. Suddenly, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think finance is great at calculating those metrics. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think RevOps is great at actually improving them. Right. And, and, um, you know, when you, when you think about those different metrics, obviously number one thing is to understand what they mean. And then the number two thing is to understand what is it that needs to change to improve them. So let's kind of go to through you know the two main examples right now. Obviously, CAC payback. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people listening to this show probably start understanding what that is. But CAC stands for customer acquisition cost, which is roughly equivalent to your sales and marketing expenditures, um, and basically means uh, you know, and CAC payback is usually measured in time, so either month or years. It basically measures how long it takes. Um, to get the you know money back for the investment you put in to acquire that customer. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna say that again, it's kind of a fancy ROI. So let's just say you spent a um, million dollars to um, acquire a, I don't know, cohort of a customer. So let's just say uh, in you know Q1, you spend $1 million, right? 
and you were able to sign $100,000 of MRR, you know, with that $1 million, then it takes you 10 months in order to, you know, recoup this 1 million that you spent, right? That's what CAC payback means. And at the end of the day, it basically tells you how efficient is your uh, revenue engine. That's what it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's pretty cool about it, it's in my my perspective, it's very operational. Uh, you can augment the CAC payback by, you know, uh, customer lifetime. You can augment it by uh, gross margin. You can adjust into all of those different things and basically kind of pile more and more things on top of it and then say what is good, what is bad. VCs really like that approach because then they can say, okay, this company has this number, this company has that number, and now I know that company A is better than company B. For us operators, um, you know, taking that view of just, you know, describing the whole company in one number, sometimes just very, you know, very not operational, right? You can't really, you know, there are too many levers to pull. So breaking it down a little bit is better, and that's why I think CAC payback is actually good because it you know nicely summarizes your sales and marketing efficiency, right? And then the other one is burn multiple, which is a little bit of a of a newer thing. I feel at least it was for me, and it basically is asking so for um, not only for your revenue generating part, but for everything. So mm -hmm. really, how much money you burn. Um, so for for the money that you burn, how many, uh, how much AR are you able to acquire? Like in total, right? And that includes your uh, product development costs, includes your general admin costs, includes everything. And basically, the idea is that a, a good ratio is two, right? So what does that mean? So if you have gotten ten million dollars of uh, uh, venture capital, uh, then a burn multiple of two would mean that you have acquired five million of ARR with those 10 million of venture capital, right? That would be a burn multiple of two. Um, and obviously, if you're less efficient, if uh, your your uh, sales engine is less efficient, if your product team is outsized, if some of these things don't fully work, it then means that from the 10 million, you're only able to buy 3 million, right? Suddenly you have a 3.3 uh, you know, burn multiple and or less, right? And that basically talks not only about your... Um, uh, you know, sales and marketing efficiency, it actually talks about the whole company efficiency, right? So that's why this is a thing that um, that is now being brought up more and more. And I think we could go deeper and deeper into all of those efficiency metrics. There are like 20,000 other yeah. ones we could kind of talk about. But I think those are the uh, predominant ones to to focus on in my, you know, from my perspective. Definitely. And I think those are two very good superstar metrics, especially for a lot of revenue operators. But revenue operators listening to this or watching the this podcast if they're listening to this and they think, well, okay, yes, well, we are, we do have CAC payback. We we, we are tr tracking our burn multiple. What else can we do to actually drive that efficiency? Like, yeah. what's what practically can we do? So, and I think this is this is where, you know, everyone else stops in their LinkedIn posts and in yeah. their podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, you need to be more efficient, um, and you know, use all of those fancy metrics and explain to you how they calculate it. Um, but but you know, screw all of that. Uh, I want to know how I can actually get more efficient. Right? Exactly, what yeah. What is it that we need to do to tweak those numbers? Um, and luckily, for everyone listening, that's what we're going to talk about today. Beautiful. Right? Um, and um, and obviously, so I heard it now a lot uh, from a lot of kind of different people from different you know circles. Uh, apparently, we are seen as a non BS 
uh, podcast. I've seen that, yeah. Uh, so we, we we're gonna we're gonna uh, continue on that vein and uh, gonna talk non BS about some of the things that um, you can do and can think about in order to improve your your efficiency and your metrics around, right? Um, and by the way, if there are things that you think where we are uh, BSing, uh, write us a, a message. Yeah, let uh, us know. I, I, you know, I would I would like to know the things because sometimes we do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we know someone and, needs to call us yeah, BS every once to, in a while. Someone needs to call us up. Um, okay, let's go. Right, so let's go into a couple of um, you know tangible examples. Uh, some of them might be a little bit more obvious than others, but uh, number one, um, and this is uh, this is a you know maybe a difficult one to kind of start out with, but um, generally speaking when you are operating your engine uh you're always trying to kind of keep it simple uh because that that just everyone understands that you can communicate it better and so forth um i think there is a good reason to think about adding more granularity uh into how you interpret and analyze your engine mm -hmm. um Obviously, that adds complexity and so forth, and that needs to be mitigated. And maybe you buy grow blocks, and that's how you fix it. But uh, generally speaking, the 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 way you need to think about it is um, the more granular you can see in inside or into your engine, uh, the m better you will be able to find things to tweak, right? Mm -hmm. And and that basically comes from a perspective of there is no one silver bullet. That you know changes your efficiency. Um, there are probably uh, lots of lead bullets that <laughs> yeah you, <laughs> that, you have to stack all you these know, bullets. That's 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 how you kind of get there. And um, if your granularity level is too um, too low, basically, mm -hmm. what that means is you will uh, you will have a harder and harder time as you grow uh, to find those little tweaks, right? And let's go through some. Uh, some potential uh, some potential examples here. So one is, and this is obviously a little bit my favorite here. Um, so think about, uh, for example, you know, only processing hand raiser MQLs, meaning people that requested them or a trial manually, so through an inbound SDR or however you want to do it, instead of pushing you know webinars and or white papers to the sales team as well, right? Mm -hmm. So and you know in order you know now. Why is granularity? Why does it matter? Well, many, many times people just look at the MQL number uh, and then on the MQL to opportunity conversion rate, and then they say like, why is it dropping? Or you know, why we can't we can't find anything to optimize here? We need to maybe try and figure out the conversion rate, how to get that better, but we can't find anything to optimize here. If you split it into hand raiser MQLs versus non hand raiser MQLs, um, or if you even tweak the definition of an MQL to only include hand raisers, what you will be able to see is that. Uh, number one, uh, the hand raiser MQLs are the ones that are actually progressing, and um, adding people resources to the hand raiser MQLs only will be extremely efficient. Right? Will be extremely efficient. Adding it to the others uh, will, for that cohort, will be very inefficient. And I've even had conversations with um, people in like companies of like a hundred million plus, and they did. They did um, so revenue, uh, and they did um, they they were able to do an analysis actually uh, on how passing uh, uh, you know white white paper uh, webinar and webinar leads to the sales team actually decreased 
even the conversion rate of the hand raiser MQLs because basically they were swamped. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. once you say it out loud, it's like, Ugh, duh. Uh, they were swamped with going through all the other useless leads and couldn't attend to the really important leads quickly enough. And as we know, if you don't reach out to them quickly enough, then the conversion rate drops and so forth, right? Yeah. So it's not only that comparatively speaking, um, you shouldn't have extended those costs and resources to that side, but because you did, you even decreased the efficiency of, of your hand raises. And again, if you don't have, and this is just one example, and there might be a thousand others in your engine, if you don't have the right granularity level, you will just not, you will just not see this, right? Um, and then, you know, one, one other piece on, uh, on the granularity side is um, root cause analysis. So I'm more and more trying to, uh, or, or realizing um, how key this is. Um, previously to me, it was kind of a second nature kind of thing. Something was off in my own revenue engine. I was like, mm, what could it be? Those five things. Let's ask that person if it was that. Let's ask that person if it's that. Um, but for uh, many other organizations and or different roles, and you know, I had a RevOps background, it's, it's not so simple to just think through it and realize, okay, those are the, the problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the key here is if you don't do proper root cause analysis and understand what is specifically what is wrong in your engine, you're basically incapable of fixing it. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the the root cause analysis and doing this in the right way and doing it correctly is the precursor of finding the right solution. And again, if you don't have it set up in the right granularity, you might simply not understand why something is uh, is actually going off, right? And obviously, this whole thing could start with, hey, we're not hitting enough opportunities, maybe from marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just let's just go down that route. So why is that actually right? Um, and the, the answer might be the MQL to op conversion rate drop. The answer might be that um, more, uh, you know, white papers and webinars were pushed, uh, but their conversion rate dropped, but everything else stayed stable. It might be that um, uh, maybe marketing was hiring too late in order to push out that marketing mm -hmm. campaign. It might be that the marketing campaign was pushed out on time, but basically failed to deliver. And the thing is, and you know there might be ten other reasons here. And the thing is, if we if you aren't able to pinpoint what it is exactly, you know how do you know what you're gonna change? I mean, basically, what that would result in otherwise is you yelling at the VP of marketing to get his or her shit together. Yeah. Um. But that's not fixing anything, right? And and basically, kind of having the right granularity depth in order to do root cause analysis to kind of pinpoint exactly what's wrong and then address that. That is um that is a way you kind of you know can drive efficiencies in in you know across the organization. Yeah, and because I think we talk a lot how there's this inherent logic to your revenue engine, and if you're not going into that that those those granular details, you're going to miss a lot of details. Yes. Okay, moving on to something that is a little bit more um, obvious, I would say. Um, and we're calling it hiring at the right time equals efficiency. Um, so, so what does, what does that mean? So I think number one, check if your AEs can realistically take more opportunities. That's um, an easy one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and you know, what does it have to do with hiring? Well, delay your next hire, <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically, uh, you should only hire another account executive 
if um, and this was a previous like uh, a VP sales of mine. Um, only do it once your existing AEs are laying flat on the floor, panting, <laughs> you know, catch, trying to catch their breath. Yeah. Um, that's that's when you w should have another AE starting, mm -hmm. not before, right? And I think a lot of people still think about this um, bottlenecking and choking the excess of you know f for AEs to to opportunities to make sure they work them really hard. Um, I think you should, you know, there's obviously an equilibrium here, but I think you should um, think about figuring out how many could they take and then give them those and only afterwards, you know, hire someone else, right? Mm -hmm. um, that might even lead to a quota increase and so forth. So that then would be a real uh, bottom-up, uh, you know, measure that you take. And then because of that, you could increase quota if you wanted to, right? Definitely. Um, and um, that goes hand in hand also with, um, you know, the way you're thinking about staggering your hiring plan, uh, because you can't, you know, obviously when, when the ESA are laying on the floor, you know, catching their breath, it's too late to come to a conclusion of now hiring another AE because it's going to take another two to three months before that AE is like in the yeah, in you the seat. Right? Your, you your ramp up time and all that. You obviously right? need to, you know, you obviously need to do it a little bit before. Um, but basically, you know, thinking about it, well, uh, maybe instead of thinking like pod wise of hiring an SDRE at the same time, maybe you should hire uh, uh, the SDRs necessary for that pod to sustain mm. two months earlier. Have them start early, you know. Have them ramp up. Have them produce opportunities, and then once the AE hits, the AE actually sits there from week two of his tenure with uh, ten meetings lined up for the first week. You know. By the way, also the best way to basically cut down your ramp up time. A lot of people mm -hmm. are, I think a lot of people are thinking about and so ramp up. It's not even on the list here. I'm coming up with this right, <laughs> but a lot of people thinking about ramp up is like is an inevitability. Inevitability to kind of hey, this is just gonna mm -hmm. take time. I think ramp up looks like it does because you basically create an excuse for your sales manager to not give that person enough opportunities okay, because hey, they only you know the first month they shouldn't you know close anything or maybe yeah. just a little bit. No, give them give them the full blast opportunities from the second week after ramp up. By the way, this is how they're gonna learn the fastest. That's how they're gonna close the most revenue. And it might even be that the the ramp up is only six months because your sales cycles are three months from the second week. You know you're basically being treated like a fully ramped AE, uh, and you you're gonna you're gonna have your second quarter. You're gonna probably hit the full ramp target. Um, sure, there's some ah uh, you know, but that person doesn't really fully know. But how can you cut down the time for that person to get there, right? And and really the the one and only way to get them there faster is by you know sitting, you know, putting them in front of more potential customers and, you know, coaching them on that instead of showing them another slide deck or something. <laughs> anyway, and obviously that goes hand in hand also with, uh, you know, your marketing folks, your CS folks and so forth. Can your CSM team take on more people and so forth? I mean, there's uh, more customers. So there's a couple of things around hiring that you just, you know, be aware of and need to kind of, you need to think through. And if you're more correct with your hiring, you're basically saving money. Yeah? Um, and that drives efficiency in the end. Moving on to something that we've been talking about actually, you know, here and there already, uh, CAC payback reallocation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a whole episode on, uh, on, on CAC payback and to, you know, move some of those things around. Um, but basically, the basic idea here is not just calculate your overall CAC payback for your revenue engine, you know, that's going to give you a number and you will figure out if that number is high or low, sure. Um, 
but it's very non-actionable. Uh, what you need to do is you need to, um, you know, break your CAC payback down into the different markets, into the different uh, uh, channels, maybe into some of the different products and so forth, and basically kind of, you know, navigate through that in that sense, right? And, you know, once you have figured out where something is expensive versus where is something cheap, you should think about reallocating some of those resources from the expensive to the cheaper one, which then basically in turn will bring down your CAC payback in that sense, right? Um, and again, it, it's going to bring down your CAC payback not because you saved on, on sales and marketing cost. It will bring it down because you still have the same expenses on sales and marketing, but you will have more revenue coming out of it, right? Um, investors love that story. It works out all the time, by the way. But it's, it's, it's a thing. And again, right, in terms of granularity, you can, number one, say, okay, you know, different regions, different channels. That's already going to be a little bit difficult. But if you can even go further than that, um, you know, that will just enable you to do those tweakings uh, in a much more granular level. Don't want to blast through this here. But <laughs> so the next one is um, benchmarking. Yep. So I generally actually like who the hell really needs benchmarking? How, how is this really actually helping me? Um, and and the, the real thing here for me is benchmarking isn't really helping you to get more efficient. Um, it's, you know, as an operator, it's probably going to use uh, against you by the CFO. The CFO is going to come, well, uh, the benchmark for this number is actually like, you know, much higher or much lower. And, you know, why aren't you getting there? Um, so I, I used to despise benchmarking um, and, and not use it very much. Um, but the way I'm actually starting to see it is don't see benchmarking as a, um, um, you know, as a, oh, here's a gap. See it as a way to motivate yourself. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and motivate yourself with, with a very specific direction behind it, right? So basically... You look at your revenue engine, you look at benchmarking, uh, you know, against your own revenue engine, and you will see some areas that are green and you will see some areas that are red. Right now, you know, okay, I should be paying attention over here. Um, I don't have a clue how to improve it, but this this should be an attention area. And then what I would suggest to do is um, find experts that maybe are better here. And it should apparently be easy uh, to find those because if the benchmark is X and you're below it, that means you're below average. That means a lot of people are above average or on average yeah. and you should be able to find them, right? And where would you find those people? Well, you will find them in all of those RevOps and sales communities. Go there, say, hey, I have a problem with my opportunity MQL conversion rate. Um, you know, is, you know, can can someone help me with this? Definitely. Right? And then basically you're going to come up with like a number of plays and how can we improve this? And are we doing this already? We're doing this already. Oh, interesting. We're not doing this. We thought this is not so impactful, but maybe you should try and actually do that. Um, and that's then how you find, you know, proper ideas for plays to execute to then, you know, improve, um, improve your, uh, improve your uh, efficiency, basically. Definitely. It, it, we can all agree that, you know, no benchmark is potentially perfect, but... I think the ability to have something to compare yourself to, to that's not just a target, but it's something that, you know, like other people are able to do this or 
or I, I, maybe I'm doing great in this one area, but then my benchmark says that in another area that I'm, we're falling behind. I, I think in any department, you can potentially have something like that. No, of course. And, but my point is, it's just not actionable. It's just, yeah. you know, someone says somehow that you're not good over there, uh, but there's no way of asking a follow-up question. Why mm -hmm. am I not good? You know, why yeah. are other people good? And, and my point is use benchmarking to, you know, get an understanding where you're good, where you're not good. And then seek out um, expertise in order to fix that specific area. And you can go, you know, to, I don't know, winning by design and pay them $200,000 to help you fix it. You can, you can go to uh, kind of a RevOps community and ask. You can send me a message and, you know, we can have a conversation. But generally speaking, that's, that's how you would actually kind of make it much more actionable, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of coming to any of those options and say like, hey, my CAC payback is uh, 24, I need to get to, you know, 12, what should I be doing? It's very different to have the, hey, my MQL opportunities is like that. What should I be doing about this? Right? It's a very different set of examples and help you can get. Again, it goes also back to the granularity piece that we just you know talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So the last one, um, the last one, bit of a mind twister. Mm -hmm. And and we're now going in Tony marketing land, and uh, <laughs> let's see how many people are you know really willing to follow here. But generally speaking. Um, generally speaking, and this is like, some of this is like a little bit boring. So, Hey, focus on your ICP, on your ideal customer profile. And the idea is you are probably, um, already in, you know, whatever channel you're in, you're targeting your ICP and that's great. And then the idea is, oh, let's put more money into that channel because the channel works out. But the problem is that actually the channel works out because you connect to your ICP and those are usually, you're, you're already connecting to them. Mm -hmm. And the channel still looks like it's working out um, because, you know, you, you add more people and the existing ICP that you're connecting to is still paying for the additional money. But the additional money actually didn't bring you more leads, right? So the marginal additional dollar that you put into Google Paid is not going to get you more leads, but it still is going to look like it's efficient because the original 10, 20% in the first place are paying for the rest, right? So let's just say everyone understood that, right? Uh, and then that is, a, that is a big if right there. Yep. Uh, the, the idea is basically instead of adding more dollars to you know, one channel, um, the idea is actually to turn around and say like, hey, let's only add dollars to a channel where we think we have hit the ICP that we're after, not all the other crap that comes afterwards. Um, and then take this additional cash go to another channel and try and target that ICP again, go to another channel, target this ICP again. Because the idea is that the way you convince someone to engage with you, you need to, you know, have a certain amount of impressions. You need to, you know, pop onto their radar for them to be like, oh, I should probably check them out. Um, and, it's, you know, if you are distributing your cash across multiple channels where, you know, the, the sweet spot ICP of you sits, you're basically able to create that impression or the critical mass of impressions with them faster, right? These ICP guys will be thinking like, Jesus, these guys are everywhere. They're like dominating yeah. the space. I, why do I not know about them? I need to check them out. Um, and that's basically kind of how you can make sure that you, you know, penetrating that ICP in a much better way, much more efficiently and so forth, right? So really this is a, you know, instead of, uh, you know, going to the end of one channel and then building up a new one because basically 
as as deeper you go into one channel, the you know the payoff will be lower, the marginal ROI will be lower and lower and lower. Cut that stuff, bring it to another channel to try and you know surface again for the same ICP and create those seven to eight impressions or that overall like wow they're everywhere kind of feeling and then have them convert right exactly. and that makes a lot of sense considering customers today we're not just all living on one platform right we're, yes they're everywhere and you're also not going on this one platform all the time you also maybe don't see it you know the same way and and you know seeing you know basically follow your icp around um and, you know, okay, why is that an efficiency thing? Well, you're going to spend the same amount of ad dollars or marketing spend um, for uh, much more valuable impressions, which then, you know, in theory will lead to more conversions from that core ICP. Uh, that core ICP will go through your funnel much quicker and happier because they are core ICP, they're not fringe. Um, basically, all of that driving efficiency across your whole funnel, right? Definitely. And like you said, it, it, it makes the impression that all of a sudden, well, this company's all over the place. Yeah. So like if I'm not interested in them, I'm, I have to see what are they at least about. Yes. So I think those are some really good practical elements of efficiency. And like we said, there's hundreds of things you could potentially do to drive more efficiency. And I think, I think that if you, the one thing that you should walk away from this episode is the fact that efficiency should not just be a buzzword anymore. Yeah. You can't just be throwing around uh, CAC payback or burn multiples anymore. It, you need to have an actual plan of how to actually achieve that efficiency. Yeah. And you need to do it from the bottom up, right? What are, what are the things we're actually going to do tomorrow that then will result in a better CAC payback by the end of the year or something like that. And, and sometimes I'm also saying to all my RevOps friends out there, um, you need to stop the fluff talk yeah. about, you know, efficiency and alignment. You start actually doing it. You need to execute it. You need to show people that you can drive those efficiencies instead of just talking about it. Um, and here's a little bit of a laundry list of things you maybe uh, want to execute. Yeah, and maybe if you follow some of the steps, uh, 2023 may, might not be as bad as maybe we teed it up at the very beginning. There you go. Let's hope. Anyway, Thank you, Bart. Thanks once again. Fun. We'll see you guys again uh, in a week from now. Have a good one, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.